All right, good to see everyone in the house of the Lord this evening. Good to have Mandy back with us. If you would, take your Bible and turn to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. All right, I'm going to start reading at verse 3. Read down through verse 9. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, that is, he's predetermined us to be in the family of God, and we are saved. That's a that's a uh, ordained thing for a child for somebody that's saved to be in the family of God, according to the good pleasure of His will. Verse five, verse six, to the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein He hath made us accepted in the beloved, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of His grace, wherein He hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he has purposed in himself. And I'll read verse, well, I'll read the end of verse 12. That's where the period is. Do you ever think about Paul's run-on sentences? They're very long. Um, anyway, uh, that in the, verse 10, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him, whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him, who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will, that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ. And so tonight I want to look at abundantly furnished. We are abundantly furnished in Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the privilege and opportunity we have to be assembled together. Thank you for the, the privilege, the freedoms that we have to meet together in this manner. And uh, thank you for uh, the blessings, the spiritual blessings that you've given to us as we're going to look at some tonight. And we thank you for those uh, privileges that we have through our Lord Jesus Christ and through his church and, and the Spirit of God which he sent uh, in his place to com- be our comforter, be our teacher and guide. So Lord, I pray that you'd encourage us, strengthen us, and help us to rest and trust in and. Avail ourselves and um, uh, apply these truths and the uh, provisions that have made to our everyday life that we might glorify and honor you. We do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> God's purpose, of course, for his children is to have all the blessings that he desires them to have and that they be holy and without blemish before him in love. Uh, that they are to uh, glorify him before a lost and dying world. You know, this has always been true of God's people, even of Old Testament Israel. That was the purpose of their calling out, was to be a glory unto the Lord. They were to be a witness to the nations. You know, Isaiah, several places in Isaiah's, Isaiah says to the nation, Ye are my witnesses, saith the Lord. And so they were, they were to be a witness, and of course, with their compromise and then their... Um, 
idolatry with the, the nations around them and the nations within that they didn't fail to destroy. When taking over the Canaan land, they, they became uh, compromised and apostatized and were no longer glorifying to God, and, and he can only do one thing, and that is, is to is separate from them and judge them, which he did. But God is, you know, uh, as, as New Testament Christians... Uh, God has made it possible for us, has furnished for us or provided for us the means by which we can be holy and without blame, that we can glorify Him, that we can live like children of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, verse 5 says, He's predestinated us unto the adoption of children. We're in the family of God. We are God's children. And so He has made provisions for us to live like God's children. And that's His desire for us to live like God's children. He's given us several, of course, he's given us his word, uh, <coughs> in which we're reading at the present time. You know, 2 Timothy 3, 16 talks about all things are, that the, the, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable uh, for, 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 um, profitable for instruction, for correction, that's not, for doctrine, for re- Reproof for correction, for instruction, righteousness. The man may be man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. So, the first the word perfect there talks about maturing, coming of age, um, in our in our walk with the Lord. Uh, John ten ten, uh, Jesus told told the the disciples uh, before he was crucified, the thief cometh not for to kill and to to. to Thief cometh not for to steal and to kill and to destroy, but I am come that they might have life and they might have it more abundantly. Uh, so we can have this abundant life or this fullness of life or the uh, furnished life, uh, living holy and pleasing to the Lord through the things that God has provided for us. And, uh, of course, we, we understand that we have the Word. The Word of God is our food. It's our nourishment. Uh, for our souls, uh, and so it, and, and you know, everything that we have or the instruction that we need for life is found in the Word of God. It tells us how we can make a living, not just how to have eternal life, but it tells us how to make a living. You know, Bible tells us man's to work to provide for his food. In fact, it says, if any man does not work, he neither should he what eat. Yeah, you know, that's pretty strong. Um, you know what happens if a person never eats? They die. Uh, so, so when you think about that statement, that is a very strong statement. It, it, you know, it tells you how important it is for, for a man to work. Because it says if you don't work, then you shouldn't eat. In other words, you're not supposed to live off other people. You're supposed to provide for your own means by working. And, uh, it, of course, it tells us how to establish and maintain relationships. Uh, how to raise a family. And really, that's, that's really how you sustain a civilization. You know, as civilizations depart from God, they, they become more and more uh, uh, corrupt. Uh, you know, uh, what's the word I want? Um not backwards, but third world type. Um, there's a word I want, and I can't think of it. But anyway, um, as Gary Forney says, there's no such thing as, as, um, 
and I, and I can't I can't think of the word. But anyway, you know, it's just nations that have been without God for so long, and once they get the once they they have a knowledge of God, and they soon and you know they soon uh, uh, become civilized, and uh, so so anyway, forget all that. But it you know if if nations when 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 nations of people turn away from God and the laws of God, they self-destruct. I mean, look around the world. Look at where religion has people in bondage and you'll find people living in poverty. India. India. I mean, they got cows walking around, you know, just walking around, but you dare not kill them because it might be your aunt or your uncle or your you know, come back in another form or something. Uh, you know, Afghanistan, a lot of these places, these, these places where there's a lot of destitute people, a lot of it has to do with their religion, and a lot of bondage and destruction. And so, so this is how you sustain, you know, we, we as a civilization have been blessed and sustained of God because we've had a, a always throughout our history, We've had a great influence of the Word of God. Uh, you know, education has flourished. Medis- medical things have flourished. Uh, you know, everything's flourished in the United States. Now we're starting to go the other way. Why? Because we're turning away from God. And so the Bible, the Word of God, tells us all this. Of course, it, talks us, it tells us about redemption, verse 7, in whom we have redemption through His blood. Of course, this redemption or salvation is through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's by whom we can have eternal life, the assurance of, 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 uh, uh, of, of uh, a clear conscience before God and being made right with God in relationship with God and, and uh, not suffer the, 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 the penalties of sin, which is death and hell forever. And so we have this redemption through our Lord Jesus Christ. And, and He's given us given us his church whereby we can know his will and and uh and and be and grow and, and learn in him and of course all this comes through all this is taught in the word of god uh and, and so so we can know his will if you notice in verse 9 says having made known unto us the mystery of his will according to the good pleasure which he hath purposed in himself so God hath abounded, verse 8 says, He's abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence. Prudence talks about wise wisdom or caution. You know, Proverbs 22, uh, 3 says, A prudent man foreseeth evil and hideth himself. The simple pass on and are punished. Proverbs fourteen sixteen says, A wise man, uh, I'm sorry, verse 15, The simple believeth every word, but the prudent man looketh well to his going. So he's cautious, he's wise, he's, he considers the thing. And in verse 16 says, A wise man feareth and departeth from evil, but a fool rageth and is confident. So when we think about prudence, God has made, made uh, 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 abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence. He's given man wisdom and prudence how to best live life. How to best live life. And of course that is by knowing his will. Your communism is never God's will. God may allow it. And it may be God's will for judgment. 
upon a people. But it's never God's plan. It's never God's plan or God's desire for people to be in bondage to a communistic society. Now, again, he may allow it because God doesn't force his will upon men. Anymore, you know, it wasn't God's will for Judas to hang himself. But you know what? Judas did fulfill scriptures. That's kind of hard to comprehend. But Judas did fulfill scriptures, but he did it out of his own will. It was his own choice. And so, you know, he brought the judgment of God upon himself. So, yes, you could say in a sense God judged him. It was God's will to judge him. But he brought that judgment upon himself. Men can bring their God's judgment upon themselves. But God wants us to know his will. Uh, in chapter 3, verses 3 through 5, again he says, How that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery. As I wrote afore in a few words, whereby when you read, ye may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of man, as is now revealed unto the holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. So he's talking here about the, 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 what he's made known to Paul here was that the, the, you know, the, the Jew, the Gentile, and the church of God are all... Uh, the Jew and Gentile are all one in the church. You know, Jew and, and you, when you think about the Jew and Gentile in the Old Testament, they were two distinct groups of people that were not to mingle as far as marrying or that kind of thing. But when they become, when they, when a, when a, in the New Testament, when a, when a Jew gets saved or a Gentile gets saved, they can be baptized into the same church and there's no distinction anymore. They're now a Christian. They're now a member of a church. And so that is God's will, and he's made that known uh, to us. He gathers one, in, and of course, we learn this, of course, through the Bible. And, and it's through the churches and the New Testament epistles that we learn what God's will is for our life. God wants us to know his will. Um, and that is, of course, through the church. You know, the church is a living, visible organism uh, where we can be challenged and encouraged, where we can witness uh, a living testimonies of God working in people's lives. You know, when 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 you know God works in your life, that that instructs and encourages me. When God works in my life, that encourages and instructs you. You know, we can we can teach each other. That's what a church is supposed to do. It's supposed to edify itself. In fact, Ephesians 2 here tells us that in, uh, uh, I think it's actually chapter 4, where it says, yeah, chapter 4, verse 16, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body. So you're a part, and this is the body. We're all, you know, together we are the body of Christ, but each of you are a part. And he says, so that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working of every measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. So, so you edify me, and I edify you, and we edify each other. And that word edify means we, to build up or to grow. And so, you know, you think about a church, when you, when you talk about it, think about a, a real 
living New Testament church visible. It's the only kind of church there is. You know, because when you think about an invisible, how does an invisible church, how does an invisible church challenge you or encourage you? No, it's a visible one. There's living testimonies of God working. And, and so, and of course, the Bible tells us, 1 Timothy 3.15, that the church is a pillar in the ground of the truth. In Titus 1.3, it says he's manifested his word through preaching. And then, of course, that takes place in the church. So, so in the church, we know his will is where we learn his will. It's where we gather together in one, uh, where there is no class distinction. There's not white or black, oriental. You know, there's no class distinction. There's no rich, no poor in the church. There's no barbarian or Scythian, Paul says. We're all one in Christ. And so, so it's through that we know His will. And of course we see the provision of course of this through the, word, through the church is the Word of God. And, and uh, John chapter 4, verses 13 and 14, this is what Jesus told the Samaritan woman. You know, the provision uh, for your, your life I am that provision. He's, of course, the word of God. John 4, verse 13, 14. Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh this water shall thirst again. Whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up unto everlasting life. So, so you know, when he says, when he's talking about the water that I give, the water of the word, it is, is continually springing up and, and satisfying. It ever satisfies. It ever nourishes. And, and it's a continual thing. Uh, John 5, verse 24. Uh, verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life, shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. That's not the verse I wanted. But, but um, anyway, that's John, it's chapter 6, I think it is. Yeah, Chapter 6, verse 33. For the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven, giveth life unto the world. Then said they unto him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger. He that believeth on me shall never thirst. And so, so it is through the word of God. It is provision for our soul uh, and, and, and it is nourishment for our, for our, for our spirits. And so uh, it is what provides the nourishment and the satisfaction and furnishes us. Uh, to know His will. So we have the Word of God, we have the church, we also have the Spirit of God. So, so when the Bible talks about it being abundantly furnished, uh, we also have the Spirit of God. If you drop down to verse 13, and where he says, "...and whom you also you trusted after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, whom also after that you believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise." which is the earnest of our inheritance unto the redemption of the purchase of possession unto the praise of His glory. So we've been given the Spirit of God. So we have the Word of God. We have the church, which teaches the Word, is to teach the Word of God, which is the food and nourishment for our soul. We have also the Spirit of God. You know, and these all work together. It's all work together. Uh, and the Spirit of God does several things for us. And, of course, we receive the Spirit of God when we are born again. But He is our divine helper, you might say. 
You know, Romans 8.26 says, The Spirit itself beareth... No, 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 that's not it. Romans 8.26 says, The Spirit... Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. So the Spirit undertakes, it helps us. He's our divine helper. He's our comforter, John tells us that. Uh, He's also our divine teacher. Now look at John chapter 14 and verse 26. John chapter 14, verse 26. And of course, if a person's not truly born again, they, they, they will not understand this because you know, the, we are given the Spirit of God at the moment of salvation, and He is our divine teacher. In other words, He gives us understanding of the Scriptures and how to apply them to life. John 14, 26 says, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, He shall teach you all things. And bring all things to remembrance whatsoever I said unto you. So Jesus is specifically telling the disciples here, look, I'm going to send a comforter. He says that in verses 16. That he's going to send the comforter that he can abide with you forever. And then he says he's going, to, he's going to teach you all things. He is our divine teacher. And, you know, if we, if we cannot grasp the teachings of the Word of God... Something's wrong. Either we're at odds with the Spirit of God or we don't have the Spirit of God. Because He is our divine teacher. John 16 again, verse 12. I have yet many things to say unto you, but you cannot bear them now. Howbeit when He, the Spirit of truth, is come, He will guide you into all truth. He shall not speak of Himself, but whatsoever He shall hear, that shall He speak, and He will show you things to come. He shall glorify Me, For he shall receive of mine, shall show it unto you. All things that the Father hath are mine. Therefore said I, that he shall take of mine, and shall show it unto you. So again, Jesus is saying here, look, when the Spirit of God comes, when I leave, I'm going to send him, and he's going to abide with you forever, and he's going to show you things to come. He will always glorify me. The emphasis is not on the Spirit of God. The emphasis is on Christ. It's always on Christ. But he glorifies Christ, and so he he emphasizes, his emphasis is, thus saith the Lord. Take heed to the word of God. You know, a lot of people get carried away with, they think that they feel the Spirit led them to do this, or led them to do that. Well, is it according to the Scriptures? Because the Bible says that he's going to lead us, or he's going to teach us, he's going to show us, he will not speak of himself. What he hears, that shall he speak. And he always will glorify Christ. Christ is the Word. And so, so we must, we must uh, uh, you know, base what we understand and what we believe on the Word of God. On the Word of God. 1 John 2, verse 27 says, But the anointing, which ye have received of him abideth in you, and ye not that any man teach you. But the same anointing teaches you of all things, and is truth, and is no lie. And even as it hath taught you, ye shall abide in him. That word anointing there means the gift of the Holy Spirit as the efficient aid in getting a knowledge of the truth. So the Holy Spirit aids us in understanding the truth of the word of God. Uh, verse 20 of First John 2 also says, But ye have an unction 
from the Holy One, and you know all things. That word unction is the same word as the word anointing in verse 27, which means refers to the gift of the Holy Spirit. So he is our divine teacher. And, and so we've not only been given, we've been furnished with, with uh, uh, the Word of God and the Church of God, you know, this dispensation where, where in the church, Jew and Gentile are one in Christ, but we also have the Spirit of God to teach us and instruct us into all truth, to make known the truth to us through His Word, to give us understanding in His Word. He, he not only gives, you know, He's our helper, He's our teacher, He also gives power. The Spirit of God gives power. 1 John 4, 4 says, Greater is He that is in you than he that is in the world. But Ephesians 1, 19, right here it says, And what is the exceeding greatness, greatness of His power? It's His power to usward who believe according to the working of His mighty power. So, so it's, it's, not, it's not our power. You know, we're talking about power to, to live the Christian life, to overcome uh, the world, the flesh, and the devil. And so this power, this mighty power, is His power. And it comes from the Spirit of God dwelling within us. Uh, chapter 3, verse 20, again, he says, now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all we ask or think, according to the working, according to the power that worketh in us. Not the power of us, but the power that worketh in us. So it's an outside source of power, which is the Spirit of God. In Hebrews 4.12 says the Word of God is quick. That means it's alive and powerful. Now what makes this, this book different from a novel that you read? Or even a good history book that's full of a lot of truth. What makes this different? Well, it has life. It has power, life-changing power. Where does it get that? It's, see, the Spirit of God is the author. This, this you know, Spirit of God moved upon men and to write this book. He's the author of the book, and he gives it power. It's, it's an, this, this book is, has power through the Spirit of God to bring about change. You know, Romans 1.16 that uh, uh, Paul said, you know, the gospel is the, what? Power of God. The gospel has the power to give life. You know, the, the word gospel by itself just simply means good news. Well, did you ever give anybody else, give somebody good news that wasn't the gospel? Well, sure you have. But that good news doesn't have the same power or the same changing effect that the gospel can have if it's received. And so, and of course, we know we are born again by the Holy Ghost. So, this, the, the, through the Spirit of God, we, we, have, we, we, have, we are helped. We, he teaches us. He gives power. Uh, you know, not only gives us life, the new birth, but He also, uh, it says, you know, Jesus said, you know, everyone that is born of the Spirit, John 3, uh, you know, He gives power over sin, but He also convicts us. In other words, He tells us, or lets us know when something's wrong. You know, John chapter 16. John chapter 16. And verse uh, 7 through 11. says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. Speeding for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. That's, again, another name for the Holy Spirit. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. When he has come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. 
of sin because they believe not in me, of righteousness because they go to my Father, and you see me no more, of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. Now, he says here that the, when the comforter comes, he's going to reprove. That word reprove there means to convict or to convince. The idea sort of is to make uncomfortable. I heard somebody describe it like set a weight on. Like, you know, do you ever, do you ever uh, uh, come upon a snake and so you get a, a, a something and you maybe a forked stick and you, and you pin it to the ground and that snake, it just, it, just, it just lays there and wiggles like this. It's uncomfortable. You've pinned it down, you know, and, and you set a weight on it. And that's the idea there. You've made, you, you're made uncomfortable. You know, a good illustration of this is, remember in Acts chapter 2 when, when Peter pe- preached on the day of Pentecost and, you know, he was telling him, look, you know, this Jesus whom you crucified, he hath, you know, God hath made him both Lord and Christ. And then, and then in verse 37 it says, Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their hearts. And they said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? You know, they were, they, he had made them uncomfortable. The Spirit of God was convicting them. He was convincing them that they had done wrong. That they had offended God and they needed to repent. And they did. You know, he told them to repent, and they did. And so we see there that they were convicted. Uh, you know, Acts, or not Acts, 1 Corinthians 14. And, and this is what preaching is, you know, one of the purposes of preaching is, uh, you know, through the work of the Spirit, preaching is, again, to convince men of their sin, their need of Christ. Acts 14, or not Acts 14, 1 Corinthians 14, verse 23 Paul here is talking about tongues, but what's better than tongues? And, of course, that's prophesying. He says in verse 23, If therefore the whole church be come together into one place, and all speak with tongues, or, you know, other different languages, and there come in those that are unlearned or unbelievers, will they not say that you're mad? So, you know, if, uh, you know, we can't do that here because we don't have anybody that, well, Andrew, I guess, can speak some foreign language, but... But if, if you had some, you come in here this morning and somebody got up and spoke in Spanish, and then somebody got up, got up and spoke in, in uh, Chinese, and then Brother France, you know, or Father France would preach in Chinese, or, and, you, and, and, you know, if there was any visitors here, they'd say, these people are crazy. I mean, this is, this is crazy. This is lunacy. Uh, Paul said, that's, that's, what, that's what, if there's any unbelievers come in and you're, you're speaking in tongues, that's what people are going to say. You're, you're, you're just mad. You're a bunch of lunatics. But, verse 24, but if all prophesy, that is preach, and there come in one that believeth not, or one unlearned, he is convinced. In other words, he's convicted. He is judged of all. And thus are the secrets of his heart made manifest. And so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is in you of a truth. You know, and he's trying to tell them, look, you're speaking in tongues, you're only edifying yourself, and the world's going to think you're a bunch of lunatics. But prophesying, it brings conviction. It convinces people of the truth. The Spirit of God uses it to convict and convince people of the truth. And so the Spirit, it's the Spirit of God that convinces and convicts people of truth. Of course, the Spirit of God can also be grieved. Ephesians 4.30 says, And grieve not the Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. And again, that means to make one uneasy. Grieve. To make one uneasy. To make, make, don't make the, the Spirit of God uneasy. 
By the way, I believe that if you make the Spirit of God uneasy, you know what's going to happen in your own life? You're going to have, you're going to be unsure, uncertain of your salvation. You're going to lack confidence. That's what sin does. That's what sin does. Ephesians, I have, I'm not sure why, but I would go to Ephesians 3.12. Yeah, Ephesians 3.12 says, In whom, of course speaking about in Christ, in His purposes, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of Him. So when we walk in, in faith with Him, in the faith of Him, we have confidence. But when we grieve the Spirit of God, it'll bring uncertainty into our life. It'll make us unsure. It will cause us to lack confidence. You know, Paul said, you know, when you lean on the flesh, Paul said, have no confidence in the flesh. Proverbs 14, 26 says, and the fear of the Lord is strong confidence and His children shall have a place of refuge. You know, there's, there's confidence in the Lord. When, when, you, when, you're, when you are resting in the promises of God, you can have assurance and confidence. And boldness. First John two twenty eight, John says, "And now, little children, abide in Him." And that's the key here: abide in Him, that when He shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before Him at His coming. See, if we're abiding in Him, if we're walking with the Lord, we're doing and obeying what we know to be right before God. We can have confidence before Him. But when we grieve the Spirit of God, when He's grieved, when we do that which is wrong and grieve Him, you know, make Him uneasy, it, it creates a lack of confidence, a guilt in our life. The Spirit of God also seals us. Of course, Ephesians 4.30 says, <coughs> Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. Ephesians 1 tells us that He's the earnest of our inheritance, until the redemption of the purchased possession. You know, you are the purchased possession, and until your body is redeemed, the Holy Spirit is going to seal you to that day, to the day we go to be with the Lord. And so, you know, He, he, you know, he has sealed us. <coughs> it is He that seals us, and that seal is like, you know, refers to a wax seal that, you know, if the king had a letter he was going to send in Bible times, he would... They would, they would melt some wax on the letter and then he'd press his ring, his signet, into that seal. And that meant it was not to be opened but by the person to whom it was addressed. To open it was a violation of the king's command. It was to break the law. And so, you know, we, we are sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise until the day of redemption. We're kept, 1 Peter 1.5 tells us, we're kept by the power of God. So he is our seal our assurance of a redeemed body, a new body. We're going to look at that, I think, maybe on Sunday morning uh, from Philippians 3. But anyway, so he is the Spirit of God that seals us, again, assuring us of eternal life, of a home reserved in heaven, an inheritance that fadeth not away. He also searches us. In 1 Corinthians 2, verse 10, 1 Corinthians 2 he not only searches us, he searches all things. First Corinthians 2 verse 10 says, But God hath revealed them to us, unto us by his Spirit, for the Spirit searcheth all things, 
yea, the deep things of God. So the Spirit of, is, is, the Spirit of God is like our investigator. He searches. He tries. He sorts out. <coughs> you know, we need to, we need a lot, you know, if we, we have a, uh, uh, something we're trying to understand or figure out, we need to seek the help of God and His Spirit to learn and know the truth and to search those things out. And He will direct us to sort out. He also speaks or directs us. And we see a good example of this in Acts chapter 13 uh, when the first missionaries were sent out from the church of Antioch. In Acts chapter 13, it says, Now that we're in the church, that was at Antioch, certain prophets and teachers, as Barnabas, Simeon, that was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Manaen, which had been brought up with Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. Now, <clears throat> you, know, you know, some people don't think, well, the Spirit doesn't speak like that today. Yes, He does. Now, I don't think... I don't, you know, these people, all these men were busy serving the Lord. They were on church staff in Antioch. It's a large church. And they're fasting and praying and going about their duties, teaching and preaching the Word of God and, and so on and so forth. And they become impressed that there's a world out there beyond this area that needs the gospel. And the Spirit of God impresses upon them. He doesn't come and say, Barnabas, hey Barnabas, hey Barnabas, hey Saul, hey Manan. Um, you need to send Barnabas and Saul on a missionary journey. It wasn't an audible voice. No, they were impressed upon the fact that, you know, again, think about the commandment that the Lord left them. What were they supposed to do? just stay at Antioch and teach all their lives and, you know, and just grow the church in Antioch? Is that all they're supposed to do? No, they're supposed to take the gospel into all the world. And so as they're teaching and preaching and seeking the Lord's will for the church at Antioch, the Lord presses upon them, oh, wait a minute. There's a part of this job description that the Lord gave us that we need to work out fulfilling. We need to be sending people into other parts of the world with the gospel. And so that's what they did. They were, they were praying about it, and, and the, the Lord directed to separate Barnabas and Saul to take the gospel from the church in Antioch into other regions of the world. So, so he was bearing witness with their spirit that this was what they needed to do. And so, you know, we have been given, we've been given... By the Lord, we've been abundantly furnished with the, the, the materials, you might say, <coughs> to be holy and without blame, to grow. We've been given the Word of God, which is, instructs us that we may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. We've been given the church to teach us and to challenge us, to encourage, to, pro- to provoke unto love and good works. Hebrews 10 tells us that. And we've been given the Spirit of God that abides with us forever, that goes with us wherever we go, that gives us understanding into the truth of the Word of God, convicts us when we're wrong, instructs us, encourages us to do right, reveals to us the Scripture, 
<coughs> understanding of the scriptures, and then gives us power to fulfill the commands that God has given us. <clears throat> so, so we've been abundantly furnished. We have everything that we need. We simply need to apply it. And we need to be willing to allow God to have His way in our lives. We have to be willing to cast ourselves upon Him, to realize that it's His power, that it's His strength, that it's His uh, provision that will uh, uh, give us uh, the help and the, the uh, encouragement that we need, the strength that we need to fulfill His tasks that He's given each of us to do, to be a witness and testimony of Him, to live a life that's pleasing and glorifying to Him. And so may the Lord help us to realize we have the provisions that we might live to the praise of His glory. We that have been accepted in the Beloved.